before um, before last week in the previous oh four weeks perhaps uh, here. Uh, our topic was how to deal with differences of conviction and practice in the church. Uh, and the reason there are those kinds of differences is just be, don't be frightened here that this review again, oh, again on this subject, oh, no, no. I'll just be a, a minute here, but it links to what we're going to do today, which is different. Uh, but the reason there are differences uh, of conviction and practice in the church because Christianity, properly understood, is not a religion about Jesus. It is a relationship with Jesus. And relationships, just by the nature of what a relationship is, uh, each relationship develops uh, features that are unique to itself. And in the course of those weeks, I compared, as it's not just me, the New Testament makes this very comparison. It compares our relationship with Christ and each person's relationship with Christ to the relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, we, we can and should order our marriages under the principles, commands, prohibitions of the Bible. But you, and you know the basics. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. Um, you know, live with your wives in an understanding way that your prayers might not be hindered. Don't deprive one another. You, you know the you know the basics of, of um, what the Bible teaches. But in the details of what all that looks like as it works out, it's, it's really left to the husband and the wife to work out between themselves and, and different couples work it out in different ways. Uh, when, when, I was a, uh, when I was a kid, I had a, a sleepover one time at a friend's house and I noticed the dad uh, the, in the morning, he's reading the, the morning paper, and, and he's writing notes in the margins. He's writing in the margins. And I asked my friend about that. What's he doing? He's writing things in, in the margins. He said, well, that's, uh, he, he, that's what he does. He, he writes notes to my mom because she gets the paper next. She reads the paper next, and he, you know, he has, I don't know, his commentary or instructions or whatever, you know, I don't, but I, th I remember thinking, you know, just, I was, I was, how strange, that's, wow, that's strange, but, you know, that's, that's how they roll, right, that's how they, that's part of how they did it, um, that's part of the dance they do, they work it out between themselves, and that's how relationships are, they develop understandings and ways of doing things that are that are unique to themselves, and that's the way it is, at least it's similar to the way it is, in, in each person's relationship with Christ. We are going, it's, it really, because it's a real relationship, it's inevitable that we would wind up doing things differently from one another in some details. Uh, if... If it were religion about Jesus, we could make up rules to cover everything. <laughs> but we don't do that because it is a real relationship. And so the New Testament gives us quite a bit, gives quite a bit of attention to how we handle those differences uh, in the context of, of Christian fellowship. In the, uh, in the cultural context of the New Testament, one of the potential problems, as, as you know, well know, but just to review very quickly, uh, was could a Christian eat meat that came from an animal that was sacrificed to an idol or may have been sacrificed to an idol? Could you do that? Can a Christian do that with a clean conscience before God? 
And the way it worked out was that some could and some couldn't. Uh, another issue was whether, whether uh, Christians could um, observe Jewish, say a, a Christian of a Jewish background, could he continue to observe uh, the Jewish holy days, like the Sabbath? Could he continue to observe the Sabbath as he had in the past? Or, or, uh, or other uh, holidays, other feasts? And that once again, there were some who saw that as a, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, and they, and they did it with a clean conscience before God. There were others who thought, no, that, that's going back. That's going back to what we were before, and you can't do that. Uh, just, like the, just like some thought they could eat the meat, and it's fine, God gave it. The idol had nothing to do with it. I thank God for it, and I, I eat the meat. And others said, no, that's, that is a, a sinful participation in idol worship. You can't do it. And so the issues change with the generations, but they're always there. They're always there. Uh, what's the Christian approach to uh, alcoholic beverages? You know, it is, it, it, what's, you know, what's the right thing to do? Um, what kinds of movies, uh, television shows can a Christian watch in good conscience? You know, what about, I brought this up a couple times, what about my, one of my nurses, uh, a Jesus tattoo? <laughs> the big tattoo she's so proud of, you know, that, uh, so... And I suggested, so, you know, New Testament gives attention to these things. How do we live with these differences? How do we love with these differences? What I framed it, these differences of conviction and practice. We, quite a bit of attention in the, old, in the New Testament. We concentrate on Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, two whole chapters. The whole chapters are devoted to this sort of thing. And I suggested four positions, four responses to those positions. And I'm going to list them with, right now without explanation. If you want explanation, you can go back online and, and see the, where these were covered. But just to, because they're going to come up in a, in a few moments. The genuinely weaker brother, genuinely weaker believer, is to be protected and taught. That's what Paul teaches. He's to be protected against sinning against his own conscience. He's to be taught so that he's not weak any longer. So his weakness is a temporary uh, situation. The professing weaker believer, which is, is someone who professes to be weak, even thinks of himself as weak, but he's not weak at all. He's strong in his conscience. He's, he's to be resisted and corrected. The participating mature believer, the one who sees he has a freedom to do something, whatever it might be, that others might not, is to be respected and left alone, this, the participating mature believer. And the non-participating or the abstaining mature believer is also the one who doesn't participate in something that other Christians would approve of, would, is also to be respected and left alone. Now, what, now that's all in the past. We've covered that all in you know, great detail in the, in the past. Where I want to go today is to, is to think about all of that, all of that teaching, 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, all of that, has to do with how this should work within the context of Christian fellowship. And the overriding theme is really do no harm, right? Do no harm. Protect the genuinely weaker believer from sinning against his own conscience. Don't encourage someone else to do what for them would be a sin before God. Uh, maintain the unity of the body. E even within this absolutely inevitable uh, um, diversity of conviction and, and practice. Uh, pursue the thing. This is a verse from, the, uh, from those passages. Pursue the things that make for peace. Uh, you know, so it basically it's Christian 
in your exercise of your liberty in Christ, just do, do no harm. Don't hurt other believers. Don't harm the body of Christ, the church. And the passage I want to put before you today, the Apostle Paul uh, presents a higher use of liberty in Christ than anything you see in Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8 or some of the other passages. Higher. There's a higher use of liberty that we don't know about yet, at least from the, my teaching in the last month and a half or so. Uh, and it's higher. There's a higher use of liberty in, in Christ because it involves, for a couple of reasons as far as I can see, it involve, for one, it involves a higher purpose than just do no harm. It involves actually, not just refraining from doing harm, but actually accomplishing a positive good with our, our liberty in Christ. And it's higher because the focus is not just on exercising personal liberties in Christ or not exercising to serve our own personal preferences, but on exercising or not exercising our liberties in Christ to serve the eternal interests of those who are outside of Christ. Unbelievers. People who aren't in the church. So it's, so it's, it's higher. It's a higher use of liberty that we're going to be talking about. And the passage is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. I want, to read, I want us to, all of us to look at it. I'll read it aloud, but you can see it on the, on the screen or turn into your own Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 19, going through verse 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." The first verse there gives the general principle. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more of them. And, and go ahead and leave that up there, uh, upstairs there. Leave, leave the verse up. There's the verse. We could restate the general principle this way, I think. Even though Paul had liberty in Christ to live as he wished under the lordship of Christ, he used his liberty in such a way to help more people become followers of Christ. And let me just say it again, because this is one of the, like, the main points you should get. Even though Paul had liberty in Christ to live as he wished under the lordship of Christ, he used his liberty in such a way as to help more people become followers of Christ. Then he gives three examples of how he did that. Example number one, 
First part of verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. All right, what's that mean? He is a Jew. What do you mean? He, he is a Jew. What's it mean? Well, Paul observed the ceremonial law as a Jew when he was among Jews in order to help more Jews become followers of Christ. Think about how he, how he, the various ways he may have done that. What's his normal operating procedure when he, when he comes to a, a town? He goes to the local synagogue, right? He goes to the local, local synagogue and he makes his arguments there. He goes there on the Sabbath to worship, to teach, discuss the scriptures. So in order to win Jews, he went where Jews were. <laughs> he went where Jews were and he, and he was a part of what Jews were doing, right? He was in part of the worship. He was part of the, the teaching. He, was, he participated in what Jews were doing as long as what they were doing was not incompatible with his faith in Christ. His, not incompatible with his obedience to Christ, but he was there doing what the Jews did. We read in, Act, in Acts chapter 16:3, Paul had Timothy circumcised in preparation for ministry among Jewish people. Why? Because the Jews realized that Timothy's father was a Gentile, and Paul didn't want to have that as an obstacle, you know, have Timothy's uncircumcision as an obstacle to his ministry among Jewish people. And Paul knew, of course, that it didn't make any difference as far as Timothy's relationship with the Lord. He knew it had nothing to do with that. But it would make a difference to the Jews. And it would, it would uh, hinder Timothy's effectiveness at talking to Jewish people. It would have made a different difference for them. Acts 18.18 it mentions almost just in passing that Paul cut his hair to conclude a Nazarite vow. Well, what's that? It's a special vow to God. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 6, but you can kind of think of it as similar. Think of Samson, you know, not cutting his hair his whole life long. You know, he made a vow to God. And so, you know, there's Paul doing an Old Testament thing, Right? He's doing an Old Testament Jewish thing, though he's become a Christian. So Paul's task wasn't to get the Jews to stop following you know, Old Testament law in, in every detail, even the ceremonial parts, but to really to help them stop depending on their obedience to law uh, to make them right before God. And he maintained his credibility before the Jews by conforming his practice to theirs when he was among them and trying to reach them. Look at verse, verse uh, 20, the second part of it, to those of uh, verse 20. To those under the law, those are Jewish people. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. That's example number one. Example number two, the next verse, verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one, as not lawbreakers, as not outlaws, as they're Gentiles. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, myself, he says, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So what's, it say, what's he saying? Paul lived like a Gentile when he was among Gentiles. So he was always obedient to Christ or you know, tried to be obedient to Christ. He didn't 
intentionally, you know, sin against God, but he, but he behaved like Gentiles. He conformed his way to Gentiles, went among Gentiles to win more Gentiles to Christ, to faith in Christ. Well, how do we see that? Well, Galatians 2, Paul talks about how he sat down and broke bread with the Gentiles at Antioch. Now, this is something he ought to have done, of course. But it was certainly something which violated Jewish custom, Jewish practice, right? He wasn't conforming himself to Jewish practice. He was was doing what what Gentiles did. He understands it really doesn't matter to... to, Well, let me read another verse, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, another example. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever set before you. This is this question of eating meat sacrificed to idols. Eat whatever set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. What's the context? This is a, if one of the Gentile unbelievers invites you. Because a Jewish, a Jewish person wouldn't have meat that might be sacrificed to an idol, but a Gentile might. So, he understands it doesn't matter to God that the meat came from the butcher shop next to the pagan temple where the animal may have been sacrificed. The meat comes from God ultimately. He gives thanks to God. Go ahead and eat it. So what's he saying? Don't go out of your way. when He's a Jewish person, a Jewish background. He says, don't go out of your way to set yourself apart from your unbelieving host. The person invited you for dinner. Don't set yourself up. Rather, build the common ground as much as you can. Don't whittle it down as much as you can. Expand it as much as you can. And he uses his liberty in Christ to do that. What liberty? The liberty to eat the meat. The freedom of conscience he had to eat the meat. And by, by the way, of those first two examples, he's going to give another example. But of those first two examples, uh, example number one, uh, conforming himself to Jewish sensibilities, expectations, when he's with Jewish people, trying to reach Jewish people, or conforming to Gentile sensibilities, Gentile uh, practices, when he was with Gentile people, trying to reach Gentile people, which do you think was harder for him? Well, the second one, obviously. He's a Jew himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, before he became a a, a believer. Certainly, he would have felt funny, perhaps, eating with the Gentiles or eating what the Gentiles ate. That's what you know. He considered for most of his, for most, for all of his life, up to until he became a Christian, he considered these they're dogs. These Gentiles are dogs. They're subhuman, practically. Of course it would, but he's willing to make himself uncomfortable. He's, he's willing to use his liberty not to serve his own personal preferences to eat meat, not eat meat, or you know, do, do the Jewish things or not do the Jewish things. He's willing to use his liberty in Christ not to make himself comfortable. That's why it's a higher purpose, but to uh, establish more common ground with those who need the gospel with those he is trying to reach for Christ. Uh, Of course that would have been harder for him to live as those outside the law, as he puts it. Third example, first part of verse 22. To the weak 
I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, he's obviously using weak a little differently here because he's talking about unbelievers, people outside the church. But So what's he talking about? While always being careful not to, not to violate God's revealed will, Paul conformed his practice to those whose ideas of right and wrong were not informed by what God had revealed, but they by their own traditions, their own opinions, their own uh, biases, uh, the way they were brought up. In other words, the, like the weak. The weak. So, say the Apostle Paul was going to have lunch with some Jewish students at the university. Uh, he, he wouldn't order the BLT. <laughs> He wouldn't order the bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich, even if that's what he wanted. Because he had liberty in Christ to do that. But he, there's weak, you know, the, the weak, they thought, no, that's, that's wrong, that, that, that you, shouldn't eat, uh, you shouldn't eat that bacon. He would forego his liberty in Christ in that case because he, he, the scruples of the Jewish university students who would have trouble hearing him, would have trouble kind of listening to him, He's talking about, he's telling them about Christ, he's telling them about the gospel, and they're looking at him and he's stuffing his face with that pig meat. He said, I can't listen to a guy who's just putting that unclean stuff in his mouth. I can't hear him. So he wouldn't do it. But just on the other hand, say the Apostle Paul was going to have lunch at the university with some Gentile students. He might order the BLT on purpose even if he didn't want the BLT for lunch. He had liberty in Christ to get it or not get it. That didn't make any difference. didn't make any difference to God. Neither's right, neither's wrong. But, but he might order it to show the Gentile students that he did not, even though they knew he was Jewish, he did not consider them second class because they're pig eaters. He, he didn't consider them as uh, you know, un unworthy. He's trying to reach them with the gospel. Now, does that make him a hypocrite? No. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to a righteousness that he really doesn't have. He doesn't own it. He pretends to be more righteous than he is. That's a hypocrite. Th this doesn't make him a hypocrite. This makes him someone who's willing to exercise his liberty for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people who need the gospel. And he sums it all up. This is the sum up. Verse 22, last part of verse 22, verse 23. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. As I, uh, see that last phrase, that I might share with them in its blessings? It, it remind, that last phrase there, it reminds me of uh, Matt Prince, who a, a great man named Matt Prince. He used to have a radio show in Knoxville. Uh, answer line, was it? I can't remember the name of the show. I think maybe it was, I, I don't know. It may have been answer line, maybe not. But he actually took calls. He, he just took Bible questions on the air. And he didn't even have a call screener. 
He just answered the phone, and whatever it was, it was, and they were on the air, which I thought took a lot of guts, you know, to, you know, no screener, no heads up on what the questions would be, and, and he, but he would take these uh, calls, but he'd always end the show with a presentation of the gospel, and, and this is what reminds me of that last phrase. He would say, friend, I don't want to go to heaven without you. I don't want to go to heaven without you. That I might share with them in its blessings. You know, Paul says, I, I want you to have it too. I want them to have what I have too. You know, if you, if you know Christ, you want other people to know Christ. And, and with Paul, he wanted it so much that his whole approach to liberty in Christ was geared not toward his own personal preferences but for the sake of the gospel. So you think, Paul, why did you refrain from cutting your hair? For the sake of the gospel. Why did you cut your hair? For the sake of the gospel. Why did you eat the meat that time when I saw you eat it? For the sake of the gospel. Why in this other context did you not eat the meat? For the sake of the gospel. He did it all for the sake of the gospel. The, the great missionary Hudson Taylor went to inland China in uh, the 1850s. Uh, when, he began to, when he began to preach the gospel, in Chinese, of course, you know, he, but when he began to preach the gospel, he did so in the, in the garb of an English gentleman. Long, black overcoat. He, he looked like Charles Spurgeon, really. He, he looked like Spurgeon. But he was not received... Uh, very well he he wasn't even he certainly wasn't received the way Spurgeon was received by his English speaking audiences you know in in uh in England so Hudson Taylor made a radical decision he decided and nobody nobody had done this uh, he decided to adopt chinese dress he began to dress like a, not like an English gentleman, but like a Chinese gentleman. And he even shaved the front of his head. They call it the forehead, you know. I think of a forehead, you know, you don't have hair in your forehead. Unless you have a wolf boy or something, you know. But he shaved, he said what well, he's called his forehead, but he shaved it all the way back to here, you know. Sh- shaved his head all the way back to here. They call it shaving the forehead. But he shaved his forehead, and then they, he not only did that, he grew that pigtail. He grew that, that pigtail that Chinese gentlemen had at the time. Right? So front shaved and wearing the wearing the, the uh the sleeves. You see him you see photos of him with his with his hands tucked into his big sleeves, you know. He's he adopted Chinese dress and, and Chinese hairstyle, which scandalized some Christians. It did. I mean, but it's liberty in Christ, right? Does the do clothes make any difference? I mean, you, know, you think okay, modesty or something like that. But do clothes make any difference? Does that make any difference to God? I mean, there's specific instruction in the New Testament about how it doesn't make any difference. He had liberty in Christ to dress like he wanted to, right? Anybody did. It didn't make any difference to God. I mean, we're all naked before God anyway, right? You see, God looks on the heart. 
So Taylor exercised his liberty to dress not just like he wanted to. He probably felt odd in those clothes. But he used his liberty for a higher purpose for the sake of the gospel. And what about those Christians who disapproved? Well, you know, I, I can almost, I almost hear the Christians who thought he's committing a moral wrong in dressing like those pagans he's trying to reach. It's, it's wrong. I, and I can almost hear him. I can say, a missionary should look like a missionary, not someone who needs a missionary. It, it, certainly, uh, don't you think some said, some said, well, if he went to Africa, would he put a bone in his nose? Well, the answer might be maybe. Maybe. What did he do? What did he do with those Christians? Who, you know, he scandalized some Christians. What did he do with them? Just what the Bible says to do. They're to be resisted, corrected. <laughs> he, he didn't stop doing it. He, uh, he would not let... Here's another thing that comes up in the passages we've already studied. He would not let what was for him a good thing be spoken of as evil. He didn't even use... He, he, here's another one. This is all those from, from 1 Corinthians um, 10, I think. He did not let someone else's conscience limit his liberty to dress like he wanted to. But he, but he didn't use his dress, his clothing, to serve his own preferences. Otherwise, he'd be in the English long black coat, wouldn't he? Because I'm sure that's how he felt most natural. But he used his liberty to better reach those that he was trying to reach with the gospel. You know, you, you, look, at, you look at photos. You know, he's 1850, so there's... There's old, uh, you can actually see photographic images of, uh, of Hudson Taylor. And, and when I look at the pictures online, yeah, I see him there, and you, you see he's in that Chinese kind of a dress, looks Chinese, and you see his, his head is kind of shaved, you know, from the top. You, I don't see the ponytail. You assume it's back there somewhere. You know, I've read that he had the ponytail, the pigtail, not pon pigtail, uh, but he's with, but he was also with a whole bunch of other missionaries that are also dressed that way. Well, that's because uh, when he founded China Inland Mission, it was uh, it, Hudson Taylor founded his own mission agency, you know, to to operate there in China. It was it was mission policy that all missionaries would adopt Chinese dress. So you see him with all with with all kinds of others. But he used his liberty to reach those that he's trying to reach with the gospel. You know, I, I didn't know it at the time. But this was actually the first Bible lesson I was ever really taught and, 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 uh, and remember. And it was taught to me before I even became a Christian. In the summer of 1974, my employer had become my best friend. Uh, it was an unusual friendship because we had so little in common. He was a family man in his 30s, wife, three young children. He's a homeowner with a mortgage, business owner with employees that needed to be paid, and vendors that needed to be paid, suppliers that needed to be paid. So he had a life filled with responsibilities. I was 22 years old. 
living a life with as many irresponsibilities as I could pack in, as many as I could get away with. At work, you know, he's my employer. He's my best friend. He became my best friend, but uh, I was at the very... He's the boss. He's the owner of the business. I'm at the very bottom of the totem pole. When the boss got hungry, guess who went to get lunch? Moi. It's my job to go get lunch. Go get coffee. Go get lunch. Uh, when the boss said we need to get the warehouse floor swept this afternoon, everybody, he, everybody who heard that and understood that it was me who would be sweeping the floor. And, and then there's the biggest incompatibility of all. He's a Christian with a strong sense of purpose. Uh, I was a heathen with a strong sense of self-indulgence. Is completely different. Well, okay. It seemed he was always inviting me into his home to watch a ball game, have a meal, one thing or another. I was in his home so often I... I once got in a lot of trouble with the lady of the house for using the guest bath towels, the, the hand towels in the bathroom with the monogram on it. And I, I still remember the dad and the three kids kind of stifling their snickers and as Mama explained to me the difference between me and an actual house guest. <laughs> she said, you're here way too much to be a house guest and using the, uh, using the guest towels. I didn't learn what towels I was to use. When my car died, and actually, it actually, my car, when my car died, it actually caught fire on the shoulder of Illinois Avenue, coming down the hill, past the, coming into Oak Ridge, past the Arboretum, the downhill, downhill hill on into Lafayette Road there. First light in Oak Ridge coming down the hill there. It caught fire right there on the side of the road. Burned up. When that happened, he loaned me, my, my, the boss, my friend, he loaned me his car. On the condition that I would pick him up for work in the mornings and drop him off uh, in the evenings. Which... Put me in his drive. Put me in his car about an hour a day. Uh, put us in the car together for about an hour a day. Half an hour in to Knoxville, half an hour back from work. Uh, it also put me in his driveway six evenings a week, right after work. And he would almost always ask, "You want to come in and eat?" And I would almost always say, "Sure." But on the way to work and on the way back, we we talked about a lot of things. Uh, sometimes he would float something he found interesting from the Bible study he was attending, but he, but he never got, I, I never had the sense, uh, you know, like that's what he's talking about all the time. He just hammered me with his stuff. Bible, 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 witness, witness, witness. He's, he's, I never had the thought, oh, here we go again, you know, again with the Bible. I just, oh, I hate to think about it. He's going to want to talk about, it. no, it, it wasn't like that. We talked about things that I was interested in too. Um, Besides, for an Atlanta Braves fan like me, the summer of 1974, man, there's a lot to talk about. Hank Aaron had just hit 715. He was, uh, Hank Aaron was the home run champ of all time. Breaking Babe, Ruth un Babe Ruth's untouchable home run record, 714. He 
Uh, Braves outfielder Ralph Gar was leading the league in hitting. Hit over 400 for most of the year. He ended 383, but he then won that batting title, I think. But he's over 400 most of the year. Braves knuckleballer Phil Necro led the league in wins. Braves had a fireballing uh, reliever leading the league in earned run average. Uh, Buzz Capra, what a great name for a relief, hard-throwing fastball pitcher, you know, Buzz Capra. So we talked about, and, and he was conversing in all of it. We talked about it. He, he knew, you know, he, he knew how many games out of first the Braves were, and there was always a certain number of games out of first because this was also the time of the Big Red Machine, Cincinnati's Big Red Machine, uh, Johnny Bench and, uh, you know, Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and all of them. But, my, but he knew who won the night before. He knew who won the ball game because he knew who was scheduled to pitch for the weekend, that sort of thing. And we talked about the Braves. In September that year, I became a Christian. Very quickly became way more interested in the Bible than I had been. Uh, and he, he led me into it. He discipled me. Uh, but when the next spring rolled around, you know, in a, a springtime, about this time of year when a young man's thoughts turn to baseball, you know, as they do, if you're a certain type, uh, I, I was talking up the Braves again, and, uh, and he didn't see as, seem as interested. He didn't seem as interested as before, as he had been the previous year. I, I noticed a difference, I, I, and I asked him if anything was wrong. And he said, no, no, nothing's the matter. I, I like baseball okay. It's just not my favorite sport. I don't follow it that closely. I, and I said something like, well, you seemed to follow it pretty closely last season. And he said, oh, oh, that. Well, that was for you to give us more to talk about He could have said right then, as I do sometimes, thus endeth the lesson. You know, it's like, boom. Boom. You know, like, wow. Because uh, it wasn't until that moment that I understood that the previous summer, in part, had been a Bible lesson on 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 23. By, by that time, by the time I realized it, I knew the passage. I, I, knew for, I knew 1 Corinthians 9. I knew what was in that. I just didn't know I was getting the 1 Corinthians 9 treatment. <laughs> looking back, I, I realized he, he never told me he loved baseball or anything like this. But here's what was happening. I'm picking him up in the morning, and he's just taking a minute looking at the paper looking at the paper and looking at the box score before he gets in the car with me. Because he knew that there was a chance I was going to be all about last night's game. <laughs> he was using, what was he doing? He was using his liberty in Christ to like baseball or not like baseball. You know, to, to follow baseball or not follow baseball. And he was using his liberty in Christ to use his home, to, to invite me into his home or not invite me into his home. Did he have to? No, this is his house. He was using his liberty to use his car or not use his car, to, to loan it to me so that we'd be in the car for an hour a day. He's using his liberty to kind of bring me into his family. 
using his liberty to share truckloads of food. <laughs> Barrels of sweet tea. <laughs> he was using all of that to create relational context that would make it easier to talk to me about what Christ had done in his life and could do in mine and made it easier for me to give him the hearing that he had well earned. <laughs> for though I am free from all, this is verse 19, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So here it is. How do you use your liberty in Christ? Just to serve your own preference? Just to do what you want? That's okay. But there's a higher, there's a higher use of it. There's something better than that. So maybe we could ask, how could I be using my liberty in Christ to win those in my life who don't know Christ? Are there ways in where I'm setting myself apart unnecessarily from the people I work with, the people I go to school with, the people I live in the same neighborhood with? You know, when was the last time I attended a social event that didn't begin and end with a prayer? Could I be credibly accused of being a friend of tax gatherers and sinners as my Lord and Master was accused before me? <laughs> I remember reading a printed sermon. I didn't hear this preached. I read it. Is a sermon though, and I, I, many many years ago. But I, I think I even read it before before this church, you know, before this church existed. But it basically made that friend of sinners business, Jesus a friend of sinners. Um, it made that out to be a false charge levied against Jesus, just like the companion charge. He's a wine bibber which is King James E's for drunkard. That's what they said. You know, you read a King James. That's what they criticized the King James. He was a wine bibber, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. And this, this preacher, this pastor made that out to be the hall of it was false. And I think I remember, it's amazing. I remember, I think I remember verbatim two sentences from that sermon, which had its impact on me, I guess, kind of a, an anti-impact. But he, I think he, he said this, Jesus ministered to sinful people. He did not socialize with them. There's a difference. And I think the same thing today as I thought then. I, I think, is this guy a, as big a jerk as it seems? I hope not. I hope not. I hope he isn't. Like in real life, he wouldn't come across as this much of a jerk. How would you like to live next door to that guy? If you're, if, especially if you're a non-Christian. You know, or how about if you were a non-Christian of an especially egregious sort, like, like someone who is involved in a profession known for its cheats, 
like tax collectors in the, new, in the, the first century. Like tax collectors like Matthew, who wrote the first gospel. And who also had a reception for Jesus at his house, attended by all his unsavory friends. Luke 5, look it up. It happened. Or how'd you like to live next door to that guy if you were a woman living with a man she wasn't married to, like the woman at the well? John 4, look that one up too. Who was just about as shocked as everyone was that Jesus was talking to her. And not only talking to her, prepared to receive from her hand a drink of water. How would you like to have a, a neighbor or a colleague at work or a teammate on an athletic team or someone in the neighborhood, whatever, whose attitude toward you was basically, I will gladly minister to you by telling you about God's love poured out for us in the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son, Jesus, but it needs to be clearly in a ministry context, maybe in church or something like that, I can invite you to. But no, I will not lower myself, I won't sully my holiness, I won't jeopardize my reputation and witness as one set apart by watching a game with you or, or by having you and your wife over for dinner or by chit-chatting with you uh, about trivialities over the fence. No. How would you like to have someone whose, whose attitude, basic conversation towards you is that there's one conversation possible between me and you. It's the one where I'm telling you about how to be saved. But if the answer back to the offer of the gospel is anything other than, yes, I believe, please lead me in a sinner's prayer and invite me to your church. If it's anything other than that, I can have nothing further to do with you. Because what fellowship hath light and darkness or something and all of that? Could there be an uglier witness than that? I'll tell you the gospel, but I, I would not know. I won't socialize with you. I won't break bread with you. Could there be an uglier witness no matter how orthodox or theologically correct it would be otherwise because this higher use of liberty and the examples of this higher use of liberty in, in really simple and usually small matters like dress and eating and drinking or conversation they're really about presenting the gospel in a social and relational context that just illustrates the truth of the gospel that's all it does because in the gospel, it was God who condescended to man, right? It's God who comes to us. The, the non-Christian religions are all, God, are all man reaching up to God. They're attaining to God. But Christianity is God comes down to us where, where we are. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. We sing. And talk about conforming ourselves to be those like we're trying to reach. 
God became one of us in the person of Jesus. He's God in human flesh. He speaks our language. We don't have to learn his language. He learns our language. He condescends to us in every way except being without sin that he might bear our sins. And so as the Father sent the Son, so Jesus has sent us. That's all it is. Perhaps we'll suffer false accusations like Jesus did before us based on his willingness to rub elbows with the likes of us. But may we also be accused of being a friend of sinners like he was and may we be guilty as charged. And what a waste if the mature among us only use our freedom to live according to our preferences because there's a higher use of it. Use it for the sake of the gospel that you, that we might win the more. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, give each Christian here a vision of the mission field in which you have placed us. Uh, give us collectively a vision of the mission field in which you've placed our church. We invite your Holy Spirit to reveal to us how we might use our liberty in Christ to be salt and light to those who are lost and dying without Christ, without hope in this life or the next. May our behavior, our talk about and to our attitudes toward those without Christ Tell the truth about your heart toward people, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Strengthen faith in every believing heart here today and let the beginnings of saving faith stir in any who haven't yet turned from sin and toward you by trusting Christ in his death and resurrection for our salvation from sin and death. We pray in his powerful and beautiful and winsome name. Amen.